0: Hello, this is episode 170 of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Dr. Nisha Riley. This episode is on my inspiration list and why. I think it's really important to credit other people's work. I always try to do that. So on my podcast link, on my main.org page, I update nearly weekly all the people who inspire me. It's something that I encourage with everybody that I work with, regardless of age. I try to help people to find parts of themselves in other people that are out there in the public domain or their legacy of work has been left. I think it's one of the easiest ways to see your own potential and to see what's possible in the world. This will be my own brand of open and honesty. As I say, I don't have to agree with everything for these people to inspire me and for me to take something to work with. But many of these people I really admire and also take great comfort from sometimes on the days when it's really difficult. I can't always pronounce people's names right, so you'll have to forgive me if I make mistakes here. It's one of my massive limitations is is names. I can never read names. So to start, um, Pinna Bush, when I started my school, there was a number of books I read. I, I worked in a vacuum, first of all, to do all of my own ideas um, without anyone else's influence. And then I started reading. And seeing the film Pina was a most profound experience for me because I saw the dancers speak about being given a form of expression And I also saw the legacy and how she worked with the team and continued to develop them. And I always say that in a way, if I could put my thoughts on stage, they would often represent what she does. I think besides inventing dance theatre, she gave us a really big sense of what it's like to process the world in a kinesthetic way which is hugely important because it's how all of our emotions and feelings are processed and we often struggle to really see that. Alvin Ailey and Alvin Ailey American Dance Theatre has kept me going during this lockdown. For me, what I really love besides the translation of all of those emotions into a physical sense, there's that sense of dancing from your internal core And despite the fact that all the dancers are essentially doing the same moves on the stage, you get to see the personality and the individuality of each one and the difference. And that is what makes me tick and makes me thrive in the world, is recognizing difference and allowing it to be promoted. And Alvin Ailey Dance Theatre does that with such brilliance. There is also that element of continuing the legacy and the values of somebody within other people, within people who've never even met Alvin Ailey, that integrity still exists. And for me that's what I really aspire to do with everybody I work with or who works with me. Kushkane Dance Theatre is probably my one of my favorite Irish companies. I've taken a huge amount of inspiration for years from going to their shows and I suppose it was the foundings for me seeing that the dance and movement and theatre had so much to offer in my thinking. When I listen to the words of Judith Jemison, when she talks about dance, she talks about dancing from the core. When I listen to somebody like Robert Battle, I'm listening to The Journey to take on the legacy of somebody else's work, to take on the values of Alvin Illy, even though he didn't know him, and to continue those values on. Lorraine Hansbury, I think it's the aspect of taking your experiences in your own childhood and in your own life and creating them in a wider context for other people to be able to understand that we all have universal values and universal experiences and how to see those from every side. There's the diversity within her. I wrote a huge amount in one book about how much I identified with her. There's the ups and downs and I'm I'm reading a lot of her words at the moment and there are those, those torturous moments that she goes through where she's completely despairing with the world. And she grounds it in creativity and nature and inspiration around her to take it back to those moments, to keep going with all that she's taking in and seeing and all of the pain in the world. And, and I do identify with that. It's exactly how I, how I function. Roman Nemirov her partner... I think I've already recorded a podcast on their relationship, on the element of balance and supporting people, even when they grow to somewhere that you didn't expect them to grow. And I really admire their relationship for that. Alice Walker is one of those writers that I feel that when I talk about that some people are still just doing laps of the labyrinth and some people are actually writing things in a way to really help you to process on an energetic level and to really change society, but to change it from within yourself. And there are are certain writers that you read to educate yourself or to give you empathy or to give you a perception, another perception of reality that you maybe haven't considered. That's why reading is so important. But then there are some people who are writing to really create change. And when I read Alice Walker and Zora Neale Hurston and Toni Morris, that's what I read. Whereas when I read people like James Baldwin and June Jordan, I'm reading to learn. I, I can't pick up one of their books and not learn something about a time or a society or a culture that I didn't know about. I just love the way Jason Reynolds puts his words on the page. I think it's himself and Sarah Crossan is further down my list, put words in a, on the page in a way that allows them to flow and allows them to be hugely accessible, especially to teenagers, and the whole emotional value of reading. In the same way that I've described some writers As speaking to a part of myself, Nina Simone, as a singer, does that to me as well. I always find myself gravitating back to listening to her music for that reason. There's a soul there for me to connect with, especially during the difficult moments. I never stopped to question that I grew up predominantly with black music, which was unusual, for a time in Ireland my parents record collection I've taken it on now and all of my favorite records in that are predominantly black female singers but also other people like Sam Cooke and um, Nat King Cole and there's a whole collection of people there and I still gravitate to all of that music and I think in many ways now that I listen to the words especially you know Billie Holiday and people like that I realized that I was listening to the story long before I could read. And in many ways, that essence and that, those reasons for creating art from the heart and from a culture and from so much to say, that that's what I now gravitate towards reading. But I've begun by listening to that in a record collection. Kelly Gibran and Mary Haskell. Kelly um, Gibran, again, is one of those people I read who's helping you make your way and I also feel that he was massively ahead of his time and I feel that we wouldn't have had his work except for Mary Haskell. I think their relationship is very difficult for many people to quantify but I think I really recognize it because I'm fortunate enough to have trusted readers in my life and it's as Cahill writes, you know, to her, that the rereading her letters keeps him going, that she sees the essence of him and what he brings to the world, that if she finds anything to relate to in his writing, it will make it real. And that's what I do in the background every day. And I'm incredibly grateful for my own Soul Tribe who do that role for me like Mary Haskell did for him. And, you know, she did it in a monetary way too, in being his, his patron. But it's, it, it's more than that. It's that sense of someone who truly sees your essence and keeps believing in you when other people don't see half of what's going on or what it takes for you to put each word or each podcast or each thought or each belief this so contrary to society. They don't see what it takes for you to do that and process it and come up with the new. And she did that for him. And and I'm fortunate enough. I knew for a long time that I needed those people in my own world to help me to do it too. Gloria Steinem, there there's there's so much but for it's probably different to other people. It it's not the feminist aspect. Ironically, I've never needed to be a feminist. And I, I never stopped to question that I never that I've been so fortunate that I never ever considered that there wasn't anything I could do as a woman. And I'm I'm beyond grateful to my parents for that. And I never I never considered how unusual it was. But I read Alice Walker because of the way she spoke about her. I read it in that openness to really benefit from what it is. And I will always be grateful for that. And there's an aspect too that I sense how so many people tell you their stories and their pain and what needs to be changed. And it's like, all of the people I've worked with and all the people I cross paths with, that the slightest introduction to do so, they will tell you everything. And you take that on and try to do something with it. And it's the fact that she's done so much with it that makes me feel that I can do it for all that I'm carrying. Frances Dalto. She's an amazing child psychologist, French child psychologist. Um, Her work is not really translated into English because she was Catholic, and if she had been Anglican, more of her work would have made its way to Britain. So there's very little of hers available to read. But what I really um, have taken from her is the fact that she ran a radio show up into her 80s, and she asked people to write in letters even you know when there was other means to do that she wanted people to sit down and write in their questions because she believed the process of actually doing that was helping them to identify and I constantly encourage clients to write me the most long-winded emails I don't care how long they are because that process of doing that is really helping them to see what's happening and it helps me to respond in clarity from an objective place and help them. But it is the start of the process. It, would, it wouldn't be the same if they didn't sit down and write it. I always say to people, the more you keep in touch with me, the more I can help you, and that's why. Maria Montessori. Funny enough, I didn't take my most inspiration from her methods book. I took it from her life journey written by somebody who knew her very well. And the first thing I comfort I took from reading that was that actually spending ten years peripherally studying something that didn't seem relevant to education was a really good thing to do and I started out like wanting to be a medical doctor, which is what she did, and she was very pioneering in being the first woman to study that and to go through all sorts of challenges to do so, like doing her lab work in the middle of the night um so that she wasn't doing with her male colleagues. And then she amalgamated those parts. I think that in some ways, a lot of people expected me to follow her model of setting up a foundation and setting up very stringent learning methods. And I think I have seen, because her work was 102 years old when I read it, that in order to have development, that doesn't really work. And it's this element, this bounce back actually to Alvin Ailey American Dance Theatre, that you have to allow other people to come in and to continue to develop your work and to develop it for the society that you're now living in and to represent where people are now at. And so in many ways... Looking at her work, I've seen aspects of what I don't want to be in in a funny kind of way. Though I do really admire the creativity, the student-led concepts, the fact that children do fundamentally love to learn. And that is why when I set up the Purple Learning Project, the slogan is develop your love of learning because everybody fundamentally loves to learn. And that's one of the things that we sadly lost. Eleanor Roosevelt, um, reading her book, uh, Live by Learning, I think it's called. I actually developed a way to work with people with ADHD from that book, from her descriptions of working with her own children and helping them. I think reading her biography, there's a sense that I I tend to, with both her and Agatha Christie, give it particularly to older women to read, your life doesn't end at 40 or 50 or 60. And it's a very slow-burning process, and sometimes you get to the most pivotal places when people don't expect you to. The committee that she chaired in the UN was never expected to be pivotal, and yet it ended up being one of the biggest turning points of that first UN meeting and her sheer humanity to people um, and her perspective as a woman to do that. Maria Montessori didn't present her work to the UN until she was 75. And so on the days where I feel like I haven't done enough and I'm being very hard on myself, I have to remind myself of these people and their journeys and the length of time it takes, and take comfort from that. Catherine Cook, Briggs, and Isabel Myers are the brains behind the Myers-Briggs method, which was a development of Jung's theory, which was then taken on and worked on by David Kersey. So these is the next set of people for me. There are a lot of different personality models. Ironically, I find that the only people who work well with Myers Briggs are all INFJs, which is the most coveted personality. I joke it's the one that everybody wants to be except an INFJ because the genuine ones know what a gift it is, but also a curse. I think I admired and Briggs because she didn't have an academic background and because she took on board a statistician to help her to trial the methods within an education environment. And there's so little done with personality in education. And it was one of the earliest things I wrote, the personality is an inconvenience in school. And so I love the concept of Myers-Briggs being used to help people to develop who they are. And her thinking was that by people understanding themselves and understanding others, that they would have better relationships and less conflict in the world. And I really love those ideals. Jung's work is equally pioneering, but sometimes I feel that one of his challenges was that he worked predominantly with darkness and such challenges and difficulty. And as my time has gone on, I've been a victim to in that I tend to take on cases now that are very difficult and that other people wouldn't or haven't been able to get a result with. And so sometimes it's quite liberating to work with people who haven't got so many challenges. David Kirsey, I love his comments on ADHD. I also feel that it is a reaction and a product rather than a condition however i dislike what he did with the Marsh briggs method and i find it very limiting so yes i would make an excellent counselor but there's so much more diversity to what's possible for me as my personality and i dislike when methods are used to limit people especially when i feel it's for an employer's benefit rather than for the individual to develop, and to develop into the most secure form of themselves, so that they're the best that they can be for all of humanity. I, I dislike the limitations. In the beginning, I also took inspiration from Edward de Bono and Howard Gardner, I love Howard Gardner's work on multiple intelligences, and so in a way I took the concepts of multiple intelligence and personality and learning challenges and put those together. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons it's called the Purple Learning Project is because there was no purple hat in Edward Duvano's theories. And it was this concept. I do like the idea of his work in the sense that everybody does need to communicate differently. And I expanded that particularly for personality work in that everybody in the world does communicate differently. But more importantly for me, and especially in an educational context, people need to be communicated to in a different way. And that's one of the parts that we sadly get very wrong. It matters a great deal how you present material to people. I said in the beginning that very beginning of this, going to see the film Pinot was hugely instrumental, and reading the life work of Mary Montessori. And the third instrumental thing of that time was reading Jane Goodall's My Life with Chimpanzees, partly because of her focus on the individual on what each individual can add up to, almost like compound interest. But more importantly for me, I realised that I was fundamentally an observational scientist in my basis, and again, this was part of the not giving myself a hard time for spending ten years studying something peripheral and being having a doctorate in oceanography. I realised that I had set up a lab space in the school to observe the reactions, that I was writing those all down, charting the experiences and charting the results in exactly the same way as she had done in Gombe. With the chimpanzees, and I began to see that there was a fundamental part of me that was very useful and very, and that I wasn't actually a failed scientist, which is how I felt at the end of my PhD, that actually I was a very good research scientist and a I think one of the the aspects that I had been challenged by was that it didn't feel creative enough and suddenly I had a creative way to be an observational scientist and to maximise that and to use it. In a similar way, I've taken a huge inspiration from Rachel Carson and from David Attenborough. I think all three of those people, Jane Goodall, Rachel Carson, David Attenborough, what I most admire them for, and I've written about this during the pandemic. It's that they see so much wrong in the world and yet they continually feel that it's possible to make a difference and for the world to still get better. But David Attenborough in particular has photographed every life form on every part of the planet and every element of the planet and watched its demise over his lifetime. And yet he's still presenting it to us. I'm still presenting the possibility of us fundamentally not destroying our home. Florence Nightingale, for me, was the first person to use infographics. The reason that her work was so successful and what she showed after the Crimean War was how she presented the data to people. She was a statistician and she presented the most wonderful image of the Crimean data of the effect of infection after the war and that most of the conditions and the reasons for people dying after the Crimean War weren't the initial injuries. So it's again, it's that presentation of data. Charles Darwin, I think, is the element of how long it can take for your work to be out there, for there's an element of you waiting for the world to be ready for it. He sat on his own work for 20 years and he only put it out when someone else on the other side of the world saw a similarity to what he was talking about. There was a huge battle for him in overcoming his own religious upbringing and that of his wife's family as well. There was so much for him to overcome in his environment. Consillo is a really amazing Irish woman who has done more for helping people with addiction in Ireland than any other single individual. She has rehabilitated more people than anyone else. And I think what's extraordinary when I read her book was the sheer faith that she has that everything will somehow work out for her and that she is guided and that whatever she wants to do is possible. And it's also very unusual in Ireland to have somebody with religion that doesn't come with judgment. And she never has any judgment of what she terms the roadmen who come to her. There is a a science part to me because of my science background. So in that, there are people like Marie Curie who were just so pioneering as women to study science and to study a science field when that wasn't the done thing. Daniel Bernoulli is the formation of my phd work and it's the physics that keeps airplanes in the sky but for me it's that whole sense of how you have continuity within levels the periodic table of elements i did a huge amount of chemistry in my degree as well as physics and when i wanted a framework for my methods i went back to the periodic table of elements because i love the concept that There are fundamentally so many natural elements in the world. And in the same way, there are so many natural elements that make us up as humans and so many natural emotions and natural reactions within us. And it's those combinations of those and understanding those in each personality's makeup. That is why I use that as the basis to extend my Myers-Briggs thinking. Isaac Newton, I always say that if people study physics, that they would be better humans. The concept of there being an equal and opposite reaction to everything, that you can't destroy or create energy, that it just changes from one form to another. I think those are really fundamental principles for me and how I function. I love the diversity of Leonardo da Vinci. I love the fact that when you stand in front of his drawings, there is art, there, there is science, there, there's astronomy, there's poetry, there's music on the page. It's just that complete diversity of thinking and that you don't have to function in a box. And I, and I think, again, for me, that's one of the reasons why I struggled in science was because I, I didn't feel I could bring all the elements of me into it. And moving on to that... There's a huge art element. So, Eileen Gray was an amazing Art Deco Irish designer who left Wexford because she was so horrified by the extension her family built onto their home. She was a hugely pioneering woman to go and set up her own business in Paris. She didn't put her own name on the shop because she couldn't do that at the time. But what I most love about her is that she was one of those rare people. That as they got older, they were excited by progress. And I think this is hugely important. I think so many people, as they get older, don't want to embrace the new. But she was excited at what tubular steel and perspex could offer her in her designs. And she, in fact, died in her late 80s, still working to that day, working on a design. And I suppose I admire that and I wish to have that level progressive thinking right up to the end. René Magray is an amazing surrealist artist. I think the three forms of art that I that I love and take a huge amount from are surrealism, futurism and cubism. And Jack B. Yeats is my favourite artist, a favourite Irish artist, and is one of the few things that I'm missing at the moment to not go in and stand in front of his paintings. Assuming a similar person who brought together parts of Art and literature is Beatrix Potter, but also her extraordinary love of nature and just the sheer amount of land that she left in trust when she passed on and how she wished to maintain agriculture. And to do that as a woman starting out when she couldn't even have her own bank account or her own finances or her own independence is just extraordinary. There are a number of arts people who I take motivation from. And this is where I'm really going to struggle with names because unfortunately all of my favourite film directors are French and I'm not sure I can read any of their names. I think I I love French cinema. I think probably because there's so much of an attention to detail in it. The, the music score matters, the colour palette of the cinematography, the whole style. There's just so many elements and in that way... I didn't grow up with a television, but when we did get one, I loved Charlie Chaplin and later grew to really admire him because he was involved in all of the elements of making it, between acting it, the vision for it, and composing the music for the score. And I, I really love the music, particularly to Limelight. Of theatre people... Some of my writing was compared by somebody to Tennessee Williams, and I do see that sense of that he shows us rather than tells. Sean O'Casey was the first play I ever worked on, Juno and the Peacock, and it's funny to read Lorraine Hansberry talking about that particular play and how much it inspired her for A Raisin in the Sun. I did a stint in working in theatre and doing sound design for theatre, and I'm really glad I did that. And I take many of the aspects of theatre and the whole concept of how facilitation works in learning rather than it being a power-driven where you teach. It's an element of collaboration where you create. And so there have been many people that have inspired that. And I think the likes of Henry Ibsen was just so far ahead of his time. But in Ireland, I really love the work of Theatre Club. I always think that books matter massively in helping people find who they are. And for me, the most profound book for me growing up, and I still have my version from when I was three, is The Starbilly Sneeches by Dr. Seuss. I think I've learned my whole sense of embracing difference from that book. And equally, I loved Paddington. I love his manners and his politeness. I've often been compared to Paddington. Apart from admiring Agatha Christie as a writer with dyslexia, somebody who really struggled to get their words onto the page. She didn't struggle to learn how to read but she just struggled to learn how to write. It's the characters of both Miss Marple and, and Pyro that I really embraced for different reasons. Pyro, obviously in the sense of psychology and how people think But more so, Miss Marple, in that sense, it is very much how I work with people. Because at this stage, after working with so many people, there's a sense that they always remind you of so-and-so in the village. And And for me, I guess, I have an excessive memory. And so I remember all of those nuances of working with people and what they were like at different ages and in different circumstances and in different reactions. And so I do. I take a massive amount of, I take a massive amount of inspiration from Angela Christie. Similarly I think Harry Potter is an amazing book because one of the reasons why it's so embraced by people is because it has every personality in it and it quite often shows us the darkness and the light of each personality and it has more INFJ characters than any other fictional work. I've read a lot of self-help books and I think in many ways my biggest inspiration is, to, is often to not be like them. The only one that's particularly impacted my world is Dan Millman's Way of a Peaceful Warrior that did help me to realize that I needed to transition to being fully vegetarian. And that was a huge thing for me to do and it was a really good thing for me to do. Gary Zukov, The Seed of the Soul, does put language around a lot of the the ideas of the spirituality and the elements and the elements of there being a lot of synchronicity in the world but generally i do struggle with a lot of self-help books i've read a lot of them because in some cases they're very palatable to other clients and i do list many other writers that i've taken inspiration from like i think reading my angelo did show me a way to start writing myself, but differently to her, but it did open up a channel in me. With some of the people I list as writers, I don't list them because of their writing. So for instance, Charles Dickens, the reason that he inspires me is because of his philanthropy work, It's because of the house he set up in Shepherd's Bush to take prostitutes off the street. And the fact that they realized that they not only needed to help them to learn to set up a home and to learn skills, but that to really have a fresh start in life, that they needed to be given a passage to Australia to start again in a new environment where nobody knew them and they really could have a fresh start. And I really admire that work. Similarly, Susan Hampshire reading Every Letter Counts was probably the book that got me through school and reading the interviews with so many famous dyslexic people But it also formed the biggest question for me in my head of why are dyslexic people not all the same? And why is there so much diversity there? And why did we all excel at completely different fields in completely different ways? And that was the big question I had in my head when I started my own school. And so that was actually formed in that book by Station Hampshire. I'm skipping over some of the people here. So in the last set, I suppose... The last aspect that I do take inspiration from is the political element. And those are people in Ireland, such as Mary Robinson, reading her book, Everybody Matters, understanding the journeys of how you create change in the Irish political context, how long that takes. I say that the reason that both referendums, both marriage equality and repeal the eight were one, were because of Mary MacAleese and because of her bravery to speak against the church and to show people in Ireland that they didn't have to be completely swayed by the church and its control. So both Mary Robinson and Mary McAleese have done that for Irish people, particularly for Irish women. But if I'm honest, I take more inspiration from American politics and I've only begun to really take a massive interest in the civil rights in the last year. And again, what I take from it is what it takes to build people to be whole, to go out and face those challenges. I don't think I've ever recorded a podcast that's so long, but it feels fitting to finish it up on this last part about American politics. And I don't want to overlap from my other podcasts. And you'll see the evolution of my writing over the last few months. But I do know that the way that I relate to the way that black people write in particular, and I first saw this when I read both of the Obamas biographies back to back, and I saw the generational patterns of education in those books, and I saw... The way that I see education as how it rises people, it doesn't make you a better person because of your status or your material aspirations in the world. It gives you possibilities and choice and access to a better life for you and for the other people coming after you and your family. And that is the way that I view education fundamentally. And so there is so much to inspire me and there's so much still for me to learn that I feel I'm only beginning, but I know that it speaks to a part of me in a way that nothing else that I've read or seen does. And there are just so many people putting that forward for me and they're, they're not all black. And it's been amazing to watch the evolution of women in particular in America. And I think it takes a very strong person, and I think one of the reasons that I admire Hillary Clinton is because of the person she is after she lost. And similarly, I admire what Elizabeth Warren created in her grassroots campaign, and I still see the implications and the effects of that for younger people growing up, people who even do listen to my podcast. And so there is so much to inspire me in America on so many levels and so much continuity. And I think this week, watching the Protestant Democrats' convention has just been beyond inspiring, watching everybody with such continuity on the same page, with such values, putting so much forward and creating so much legacy for the future. And that all speaks to me. But similarly, they all understand the legacy of what's gone before them, and that matters even more.